We're going to continue our study of what is grace and what is mercy. So just to recap, last night we were looking at how grace and mercy were part, are part of the character of the Lord. So they're part of His character, they're part of who He is. But does He give that grace and mercy to just everybody? And that's what we were talking about last night. When we stop, it's who receives the grace and mercy of the Lord? Is it conditional? Well, from the scriptures we've looked at last night, what would you say? Is grace and mercy conditional? Absolutely. It is conditional. Psalm 103 really just kind of drives the point home. Um, So let's go to Psalm 103, starting in verse 3. And I will go ahead and tell you, in Psalm 103, there are a lot of Words that mean continuous action, participles. So I'll be sure to point out which words are continuous action, which are participles. Alright? So starting in verse 3, it says, let's just start in verse 1. It says, Bless the Lord, O my soul, and all that is within me. Bless His holy name. So who is the prayer to? It's to the Lord by David. Verse 2 says, Bless the Lord, O my soul, and forget not all His benefits. So what are the benefits of God? Does that mean he's going to put cash in my account? Is he going to... What kind of benefits are we talking? Here they are in verse 3. Who forgives all your iniquities. The word forgives is a participle. Who is forgiving your iniquities. Who heals all your diseases. Healing. That's a participle. Who redeems your life from destruction. Redeeming. It's a participle. Who crowns you with loving kindness and tender mercies. Crowns, that's a participle. Who is crowning you with mercy, tender mercies, loving kindnesses. So that word loving kindness, there is chesed. Verse 5. Who satisfies your mouth with good things so that your youth is renewed like the eagles. That word satisfies, that's a participle. Satisfying your mouth with good things. Verse 6, the Lord executes righteousness and justice for all who are oppressed. Executes, that's a participle. Continuous action. Who is executing righteousness. Verse 7, he made known his ways to Moses, his acts to the children of Israel. Now remember last night when we were talking about in in the dedicatory prayer of Solomon, when it was talking about his promises that were made to Moses, what was that word promises? It was his words, the words that he spoke. So when it says he made known his ways to Moses, what was he revealing through his spoken word? The scriptures, the scriptures. So he made known his ways to Moses, his acts to the children of Israel. Verse 8, the Lord is merciful and gracious, slow to anger, and abounding in mercy. So gracious there in verse 8 is the word chanun. C-H-A-N-N-U-N, chanun. We saw it a lot last night. So the Lord is merciful and gracious, slow to anger, abounding in mercy. He will not always strive with us, nor will He keep His anger forever. He has not dealt with us according to our sins, 
nor punished us according to our iniquities. For as the heavens are high above the earth, so is his mercy toward those who what? Fear him. So now we're kind of starting to see the scope narrow a little bit. So the Lord is gracious. The Lord is merciful. So we've just gotten through reading how the Lord just continues to do all these things. But now we're starting to see the caveat. Now we're starting to see the focus kind of narrow. Who is his mercy great toward? Those who fear him. What does it mean to fear the Lord? To mean to honor, to respect, to obey. Verse 12, as far as the east is from the west, so far has he removed our transgressions from us. That word transgression is rebellions. The things we willfully do. As a father pities his children, so the Lord pities those who what? Fear him. For he knows our frame, he remembers that we are dust. As for man, his days are like grass. As the flower of the field, so he flourishes. For the wind passes over it, and it is gone, and its place remembers it no more. But the mercy of the Lord is from everlasting to everlasting. There's the word chesed. The mercy of the Lord is from everlasting to everlasting, period. On those who fear him, so the mercy of the Lord is from everlasting to everlasting on those who fear Him. And His righteousness to children's children, to such as what? Keep His covenant. And to those who remember His commandments, to what? To do them. It's not enough just to say, oh yeah, I remember those commandments. What do you have to actually do? You have to actually do them. The word keep in verse 18 and the, verse rem- and the word remember in verse 18 are both participles. So those who are keeping his covenant and remembering his commandments to do them. Those are participles. So what are we seeing here? What's the common theme that we're seeing? God is merciful. God is gracious. God pours out his mercy and he's quick to forgive our sins if... We what? If we follow, if we repent, if we do what we're supposed to do. So that kind of falls back on us to make sure that we're living uprightly before God. Does that mean that we're saved by works? No. But that means that we must demonstrate our faith through our walk, through our actions. And it's a continual walk. It's not a one-time event. Psalm 119. Psalm 119. Verse 29. Psalm 119 is the longest chapter in the Bible. And Psalm 119 is all about the Torah, all about the law, keeping commandments. Verse 29 says, Remove from me the way of lying and grant me your law graciously. The word graciously there is chanan, C-H-A-N-A-N. 
So grant me your law graciously. That word lying is the Hebrew word sheker, S-H-E-Q-E-R. But again, you can spell it with whatever English letters make you say shaker, or shaker, actually. Hebrew word 8267, and it means a false witness, a falsehood. So in Exodus 20, verse 16, where it says, Thou shalt not bear a false witness, the word false is the same word here. So remove from me the way of lying, of deception, falsehood. So how do we know what is a deception and what is a falsehood? Do we just go on what we feel like is a deception or a falsehood or on what the scripture says is a deception or a falsehood? And that's why he says, grant me your law graciously. That way I'll know the way that I should walk. Proverbs 3. We were there last night, but we're going to look at the last part of Proverbs 3. Proverbs chapter 3. We're going to read verses 31 through 35. It says, Do not envy the oppressor and choose none of his ways. Literally, an oppressor is a man of violence. It says, for the perverse person is an abomination to the Lord, but his, talking about the Lord, his secret counsel is with the upright. The curse of the Lord is on the house of the wicked, but he blesses the home of the just. Surely he scorns the scornful, but gives grace to the humble. That word grace is chen, C-H-E-N. It's the same word used in Genesis chapter 6 to say Noah found grace in the eyes of God, or in the eyes of the Lord. Verse 35 says, The wise shall inherit glory, but shame shall be the legacy of fools. So you're noticing that we're we're comparing and contrasting how many groups of people. Is it like five groups of people or two? It's two. Those who are following the commandments, those who are God calls upright, and then those who God calls wicked. So you see words that are used there interchangeably. An oppressor, a man of violence, a perverse person, wicked, scornful, a fool. What did the fool say in his heart? There is no God. So you see how all of those terms are interchangeably there. But then look at the terms that are interchangeably for those who are walking uprightly before God. The upright, the just, the humble, the wise. And notice it says in verse 34 that those are the ones that God gives grace to. Those. Not the ones in the other category. Because the people in that other category, do you think they have any intention of turning to God? I would say no. 
But there again, the Lord is long-suffering. Isaiah 26. Isaiah 26. Verse 10. Isaiah 26.10 says, Let grace be shown to the wicked, yet he will not learn righteousness. In the land of uprightness, he will deal unjustly and will not behold the majesty of the Lord. What does this mean? It says even when grace is shown to a wicked person, they still will not learn the ways of righteousness. And even if everybody around them is living uprightly, they'll still be what? They'll still be wicked. They'll still be wicked. Does that mean that wicked people cannot turn to God? Well, they do all the time. But think about this. Think about what we discussed last night. In the book of Romans, it talks about people being turned over to a debased mind. 2 Thessalonians also kind of goes along that same line. So turn to 2 Thessalonians. Talking about people who are wicked. 2 Thessalonians chapter 2 talks about the Antichrist, the false Messiah. And you know, people might wonder, well, why in the world would you want to follow some guy like that? Look at verse 9. The key verse that we're going to look at is verse 11. It says, The coming of the lawless one is according to the working of Satan, with all power, signs, and lying wonders, and with all unrighteous deception among those who perish because they did not receive the love of the truth that they might be saved. And for this reason... God will send them strong delusion that they should believe the lie, that they, may be all, that they all may be condemned who did not believe what? The truth, but had pleasure in what? Unrighteousness. So if their life was characterized by lawlessness and unrighteousness, then you can see how it's pretty easy for them to believe the lie. Because God said, you want it? Here it is. Have it. So it says, for this reason, God will send them strong delusion that they should believe the lie. Does that, does that mean that God is just making them mean? No. God's given them what they want. God's given them what they want. So if they want it, God's going to give them to them. God's going to give it to them. But how are they going to like it come judgment day? Not very much. Not very much. Jeremiah 36. Jeremiah 36. We're going to look at verse 7.
when we ask honestly and and with in His will, right, and with faith and right, and being righteous, then He will give us what is in His will to give us, right. In our request. So why is it so easy for the non-believers to just get what they want? Why is it so easy? Like why? Why is it? Well, it's kind of like. Like if they just if they want to just get it and God gives it to them because they want it, then why does not he give everybody? Yeah, they're. Yeah. But in in his in his character, he's not vengeful and. No. He's not doing it to. No, I mean, it's just, if, if that's what they want, then they're going to get what they want. And, you know, like, I mean, that's, that's kind of a hard question to just, because, you know, like, we can look at the scripture and see what the character of God is, but why does God allow these people over here to, you know, if they want to just live it up, you know, why does it seem like they're successful, but really are they successful they're only successful in the eyes of the world you know like where do our treasures need to be stored up they need to be stored in heaven you know what what are the treasures down here but just a you know a blip in time you know just and a lot of times i think it's ill-gotten gain yeah and we're not supposed to walk like they walk and yeah sometimes you know a lot of times those things they receive it's because they got them by not doing the right thing. Well, but, you had just said that God was giving them what they want. Yeah. But so is that. But if He does that, that just helps them dig their hole deeper. Right. Because so many people that are so wealthy and famous and great, they're the ones that hang themselves, right. shoot themselves, because it doesn't answer that. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Maybe He's just showing you. Not going to feel good. Right. And this is where free will comes in. I mean, we can choose to get to be like them, but we're supposed to show everybody that's not how you're supposed to be. And I think our blessings are peace of mind. Mm -hmm. Well, I just I question maybe the the explanation. Like they that they want to be wicked, so God's just giving them what they want. Like I don't is that. Well, God is long suffering. I know that, but they're they're we know. I mean, just from the reading of the scripture, I can't say why exactly God would allow that to happen. But it's from the scripture, we can see that God turns people over to the condition that they want to be in. Come judgment day, are they going to like making that decision? <laughs> well, absolutely. Absolutely not. Yes. Hi. I hey. did a, a, a study one time. Uh, concerning grace as well and there's a sovereign grace and a saving grace and I know that your study is about the saving grace but when I say sovereign grace is because God you know he gives uh, when the rain falls on the righteous it also falls on the wicked uh, they do benefit you, you, you know what I'm saying because he has a sovereign grace over the whole earth right the, right and the, God and God always gives us an opportunity, you know, that grace to, to, to come to Him and to repent. Yeah. 
So I'm just, what I'm wanting to point out is just, what does the scripture say about grace and mercy? So it's kind of like, I report, you decide. So, yes, sir. So, um, I think it, that might be the answer, though, because, you know, God does have, like, a sovereign grace. He, he delivers, you know, the rain. The sun rises for the wicked as, as well as the righteous, you know. Right. It's just a... Right, and he's always given them an opportunity to repent. Absolutely, yes, absolutely, yes. I agree with that. But we can also read from the scriptures that, you know, the Lord is long-suffering. And we read that last night in Second Peter chapter 3. The Lord is long-suffering, but it says, but the day of the Lord will come. And what happens in the day of the Lord? That's when judgment falls. Doesn't so. scripture tell us not to be envious of them? Yeah, don't even envy, don't envy their ways. That's what we just read in, in Proverbs 3. Don't even envy their ways. Don't even want to be like them. Exactly. Because what is their ultimate destination? Yeah, absolutely. So, why wicked people, Ellie, are, are success? It seems that they're successful in this life and God's just, you know, here you go. But... Right. Right. Hey Daniel, it also goes back to that: what profiteth the man if he uh, if he gains everything but loses his soul? So right, know. right. 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 So really God's saying, if you want to be part of that system, here you go. Yeah. Okay. Choose. Yep, choose, choose, you, choose you this day who you will serve. Because think about even when the Lord was tempted, the, the, Satan said, I will give you all of this if you what? If you bow down and worship me. And did he have the power to give you know, th those kingdoms and those things of the earth? Yes. Yeah, he did. And the Lord said, no, no. So... You can look at it that way. All right. Daniel, his, his grace is discipline to us as children. That is grace also. And they don't have that. That's actually a gift. And our consciousness, consciousness is different as mm -hmm. a result of the word. Right. Amen. Right. True, true. Jeremiah 36, 7. Let's start in verse 1 just to kind of get some context. It says, Now it came to pass in the fourth year of Jehoiakim, the son of Josiah, king of Judah, that this word came to Jeremiah the Lord from the Lord, saying, it says, Take a scroll of a book and write on it all the words I have spoken to you against Israel, against Judah, and against all the nations from the day I spoke to you from the days of Josiah even to this day. Look at verse 7. Verse 7 says, It may be that they will present their supplication before the Lord, and everyone will turn from his evil way. For great is the anger and the fury that the Lord has pronounced against this people. 
So remember we read last night that a supplication is a prayer of grace or a prayer for grace. The word supplication is the word techina. Notice it's a related term to the word chain. So techina, T-E-C-H-I-N-N-A-H. And that's Hebrew word 8467. So a supplication. So the Lord is waiting for the, the for their prayer and that they would turn from their wicked ways. So that's what the Lord is waiting on during that time. He's waiting for the people to repent. If you look at verse three. Uh-huh. Right. 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 That's that's exactly what the Lord says. He wants people to turn. He wants to forgive them, but they have to do what? They have to repent. They have to repent. So He's not just going to pour His forgiveness out if they don't repent. If they don't turn from that sin. Absolutely. Joel chapter two. Joel chapter 2. We're going to see more of the character of the Lord here. So we know Joel chapter 2 takes place in the day of the Lord. We'll start at verse 12. It says, Now therefore, says the Lord, turn to me with all your heart, with fasting, with weeping, and with mourning. So rend your heart and not your garment. Return to the Lord, for he is what? Gracious and merciful, slow to anger and of great kindness, and he relents from doing harm. The word gracious there is the word hanun. And the word kindness should be the word mercy. It's the word chesed. So slow to anger and of great mercy. So even in the midst of of the tribulation period, what is it that God is calling for the people to do? To repent, to return to Him. Why? So He can forgive them. So He's gracious and merciful, slow to anger, and great and of great kindness or great mercy. All right, Micah chapter six. <clears throat> Micah chapter six. Cassandra said, I believe that Scripture says the goodness of the Lord brings one to repentance. So maybe that is what God is doing when He blesses the wicked with the righteous. Yeah, the Lord is long-suffering because He wants everyone to come to repentance. Absolutely. And can I repeat the comments of those at the fellowship? I'll do my best. 
All right. Micah chapter 6, starting at verse 6. We're going to read verses 6 through 8. It says, With what shall I come before the Lord and bow myself before the high God? Shall I come before Him with burnt offerings, with calves a year old? Will the Lord be pleased with thousands of rams, ten thousand rivers of oil? Shall I give my firstborn for my transgression, the fruit of my body for the sin of my soul? What's the answer to all that? (laughs) What is it that God wants? Does He want the burnt offerings? Does He want the... Does he want all of that? Look at what verse 8 says. He has shown you, O man, what is good. What does the Lord require of you but to do justly, to love mercy, and to walk humbly with your God? So what is it that God wants? God wants a changed heart more than these external actions that may or may not reflect an internal change. Think about in the book of Isaiah chapter 1. What's one thing that the, that the Lord was telling the people? You're bringing these offerings before me. You're bringing all of this, but your heart is dirty. Your heart has not changed. Learn to do good is what he was telling them. This chapter, uh, chapter 6 verse 8, when it says love mercy, that word mercy is chesed. So what is it the Lord requires to do justly, love mercy, and to walk humbly with your God? Doesn't this sound a whole lot like Matthew 23? Go to Matthew 23. Verse 23. Matthew 23, 23. See if this almost sounds identical. It says, Woe to you, scribes and Pharisees, hypocrites! For you pay tithe of mint and anise and cumin. Those are small things to tithe. And have neglected the weightier matters of the law justice and mercy and faith. Those you ought to have have done without leaving the others undone. Blind guides who strain out a gnat and swallow a camel. So in other words, the Lord is railing against them saying, you're doing all these external things, but you're neglecting the things that truly, truly, truly matter. Justice, mercy, and faith. Love your neighbor, love your God, exactly. Now, does that mean that God did not require the sacrifices and all the things that the people are bringing? He did. He required them. But what, what do those sacrifices reflect? Repentance, an internal change. So what if you're just going through the motions of doing things and there's no internal change? then it's just an outward show. It's just an outward show. And that's exactly what the Lord is telling them. Work on the inside. What you're doing on the outside should reflect what's happening on the inside. But you're being a hypocrite. You're being an actor. You're just putting on a show. 
Go to Hosea 6. This, uh, the scripture in Malachi, or Micah also reads a whole lot like Hosea chapter 6. We know Hosea 4 says, My people perish for lack of knowledge because you've rejected Torah. Hosea 6.6 says, For I desire mercy and not sacrifice. In other words, God would rather you not sin in the first place because when do you bring the sacrifice? After you've what? (laughs) After you've repented from the sin. And the knowledge of God more than burnt offerings. What was it that Hosea 4 said that people perished for? Lack of knowledge. So he said, I'd rather you know my ways rather than just bring me the burnt offering and not have any idea of why you're doing it. So I desire mercy and not sacrifice and the knowledge of God more than burnt offerings. Malachi 1. Malachi 1. Here again, Malachi chapter 1. Doesn't it seem like every scripture we've looked at, God is calling people to repent. God is calling people to turn back to Him. That's part of that character of God, that long-suffering nature of God. And so in the book of Malachi, Malachi, the Lord is, through Malachi, really railing on the priest. Verse 9, Malachi 1.9 says, But now entreat God's favor. Literally it says the face of God. So now entreat the face of God. That He may be gracious to us. While this is being done by your hands, will He accept you favorably, says the Lord Lord of hosts. What are the priests doing? Well, if you go back to verse 8, It says, when you offer the blind as a sacrifice, is it not evil? Is it evil to sacrifice a maimed animal to the Lord? Absolutely. And when you offer the lame and the sick, is it not evil? Offer it then to your governor. See if he'd be pleased with you. So if he said, you wouldn't even give this to your earthly ruler, what makes you think that the king of the universe is going to be acceptable of this, is going to approve of this. Would he accept you favorably, says the Lord of hosts. So in verse 9 it says, entreat the face of God or God's favor that he may be gracious to us. That word gracious is chanan. So what is, so how could we sum up this portion of Malachi right here? What is God to telling the people to do, telling the priests to do, repent. If we could sum up all of the scriptures we've read so far, what's the common theme? God is gracious and God is merciful, therefore what? Repent. Repent. Come to the Lord. So we've looked at Who receives the Lord's grace and mercy? And is it conditional? Absolutely, it's conditional. But again, 
God, get, God is long-suffering, wanting all to come to repentance. So if we look at the next section, we're going to talk about the New Testament. So we're going to see, does, does what, we, what we just read here in the Old Testament, does it match with what's going to be in the New Testament? The word for grace that's used in the New Testament is the word charis, C-H-A-R-I-S. And that's Greek word 5485. Charis or Related to the term, you've heard of charismatic, charisma, all those different words. They're all related. And what we're going to look at first is how this word is translated in the New Testament. Because it's not all translated as the same way. In some places it's translated as grace. So we looked last night at John chapter 1. The word is translated as grace. Let's look at Luke chapter 1. So I just want to give you some different ways that the word is translated and how it's used. So Luke chapter 1. Verse 30. says, Then the angel said to her, Do not be afraid, Mary, for you have found favor with God. The word favor is the Greek word charis. So you could say Mary found grace with God. First Corinthians sixteen. First Corinthians sixteen. Verse 3, it says, When I come, whomever you approve by your letters, I will send to bear your gift to Jerusalem. Which word do you suppose in there is the word charis? Gift. It's the word gift. So it can be translated as grace, as favor, as gift. Second Corinthians one. So just flip the page. Second Second Corinthians one verse fifteen. It says, And in this confidence I intended to come to you before that you might have a second benefit. What word do you suppose is charis? Benefit. So grace, favor, gift, benefit. So what are we seeing here about grace? It's a gift. It's a benefit. It's favor. All right? Go to the book of Philemon. Philemon, Philemon. It's after the book of Titus. 
potato, potato, right? Hmm. Philemon, verse 9. Write down the wrong scripture. Would it be verse 7? Yeah, that's it. Verse 7. Thank you. Verse 7. It says, For we have great joy and con con consolation in your love because the hearts of the saints have been refreshed by you, brother. The word joy is, is the word charis. The word joy, which is a fitting word for this time of year, right? Mm -hmm. Tabernacles being the season of our joy. So we see that the word can be translated as grace, favor, gift, benefit, and joy. So why is, why is all of that important? Because we can kind of get a bigger shade of meaning of what the word grace carries. It carries the connotation of favor, the connotation of a gift, the connotation of a benefit. And when you're forgiven of your sins, what does that bring? It brings great joy. So we see how all of that carries so strong of a meaning. So now I want us to talk about how salvation is a free gift because of grace and mercy. So we're going to look at salvation in direct comparison to grace and mercy. We're going to start in the book of Acts chapter 13. Salvation is a free gift because of grace and mercy. That's what we're going to look at now. How salvation and grace and mercy are interconnected. Go to Acts chapter 13. Alright, so let's start with verse 38. We're going to read verses 38 and 39. And then we're going to read verse 43. Because that's where the word grace is. Verse 38 says, Therefore let it be known to you, brethren, that through, th through this man is preached to you the forgiveness of sins. And by him everyone who believes is justified from all things from which you could not be justified by the law of Moses. Did salvation ever come through keeping commandments? Absolutely not. So right here Paul is saying justification, salvation, comes from Yeshua, comes from, our, from the Lord. So thank goodness we don't have to rely on our own efforts and our own righteousness 
to save us. But look at verse 43. It says, Now when the congregation had broken up, many of the Jews and devout proselytes followed Paul and Barnabas, who, speaking to them, persuaded them to continue in the grace of God. So what grace of God was Paul telling them to continue in? What did Paul just get through teaching them or preaching to them? Salvation is not through keeping commandments. Salvation is by faith. Continue in that. Continue in this free gift of God. Because what, what was the teaching, the, one of the false teachings that was going around that, the region at that time? Paul would come in and teach, hey, salvation is by faith, and then what would the false teachers come in behind and say? It's through, you have to be circumcised and keep the whole law in order to be saved. And we're going to read that in just a moment. So what is Paul telling them? It, God is so gracious and God is so merciful that he provided a way for you to be reconciled to God. And it's by faith in Messiah. It's in, by faith in Yeshua. So continue in that. Continue in that. Don't let anybody take that from you. And this is the crux of the gospel. Of the gospel message. Salvation by faith. Go to Acts 15. So just flip the page. So on Friday nights, we're studying the book of Galatians. And this is what the whole controversy of the book of Galatians is about. Is salvation by faith or is salvation through circumcision and keeping the commandments? Acts 15.1 It says, And certain men came down from Judea to Galatia and taught the brethren, here's what they said, Unless you are circumcised according to the custom of Moses, you cannot be saved. Underline the phrase, you cannot. In Greek, that is the phrase, u dunamai. I will spell it, u dunamai. O-U space D-Y-N-A-M. AI. <coughs> OU space DY NAMEI. It almost seems like you're spelling the word dynamite, doesn't it? The word dunamis, dunamite, has to do with power. So the phrase, so the phrase, you cannot, is that phrase right there. And it literally means you don't have the power to do it. You're not able to do it. So unless you're circumcised according to the custom of Moses, you don't have the ability, the power to be saved. Well, nobody has power within themselves to be saved. Go to 1 Corinthians 15, and we'll see that same phrase used. And let's see what Paul has to say about it. 1 Corinthians 15, 50. 
1 Corinthians 15.50. You'll see the same phrase here. It says, Now this I say, brethren, that flesh and blood cannot inherit the kingdom of God. Do you see the word cannot? That's u-dunami. It's actually dunami, not dunami. Dunami. So in other words, Paul is saying flesh and blood doesn't have the power to inherit the kingdom of God. So if you're trying to earn your salvation through your own works, through flesh and blood means, Paul says you can't do it. You can't inherit the kingdom of God through your own merit, through your own works. If I drop that again, that'll be three times. So when the people are, when these false teachers are coming down saying, you can't be saved until you do this fleshly thing. Paul is saying that's not possible. You can't do it. So you can't inherit the kingdom of God if you're trying to earn salvation through your own means. So what does that mean, trying to earn salvation through your own means? Don't we keep commandments to be saved or do we keep commandments to prove our salvation? So after you have professed your faith, how do you walk out that faith? That's what we're going to be looking at today. But what if you're trying to do it all on your own? Then God, And the scripture says, and Paul even says it, you have nothing to brag about before God because it's counted as debt and not as wages. So Acts chapter 15 Let's go down to verse 6. So these false teachers are saying you don't have the power to be saved unless you are circumcised. And so then here's Paul saying flesh and blood can't inherit, doesn't have the power to inherit the kingdom of heaven. So you have these two conflicting reports. Verse 6 says, Now when the apostles and elders came together to consider this matter, literally it says this word, when they came together to consider this word, this saying. And when there had been much dispute, can you believe they're actually arguing about this? And all these people claim to be believers. When there had been much dispute, Peter rose up and said, Men and brethren, you know that a good while ago God chose among us that by my mouth the Gentiles should hear the word of the gospel and believe. So God who knows the heart acknowledged them by giving the Holy Spirit just as he did, giving them the Holy Spirit just as he did to us and made no distinction between us and them purifying their hearts, what? By faith. Now therefore, why do you test God by putting a yoke on the neck of the disciples which neither our fathers nor we were able to bear. What yoke is that talking about? Is that talking about Torah? Is that talking about the law? Or is it talking about trying to earn salvation by man-made works? Has anybody, is anybody able to do that? Absolutely not. <clears throat> so we believe that through the grace of the Lord, Yeshua the Messiah, we shall be saved in the same manner as they. The word grace there is charis. So the, through the grace of God, we shall be saved in the manner, same manner as they. And isn't that so, 
isn't that awesome? Isn't that so wonderful that God provided one way of salvation for everybody? It's not, there's a way to be saved for you. There's a way to be saved for you. Everybody has a different way of salvation. There's one way of salvation, and that is how God is demonstrating his grace. Go to John 10. How many ways are there? How many flocks? One flock. John 10, 11, the Lord himself, the letters are read. He says, I am the good shepherd. Skip down to verse 16. It says, And other sheep I have which are not of this fold. Who is that talking about? That's talking about the non-Jew, the Gentile. Them also I must bring, and they will hear my voice, and there will be two flocks and one shepherd. One flock and one shepherd. That is grace being demonstrated. God does not have two flocks. He has one flock, one way of salvation. There it is, three times. One way of salvation. That is the grace of God being demonstrated. And how are we saved? Do we have to prove our salvation through our, through our works and our merit and just leave God out of the situation? It's by faith. And faith alone. And that's what the Bible says over and over and over again. But, how do we demonstrate that faith? That's what we're going to be seeing as we go along. Go to Romans 3. Romans 3. So we're going to see how grace and mercy are interweaved with salvation. All right, verse 21. Verse 20 ends by saying, by the law is the knowledge of sin. So how do we know what sin is? The law tells us. The scriptures tell us what sin is. Otherwise, what's a sin for me might not be a sin for you. How many of you have heard that line before? Aren't you glad that's not true? We know what sin is. Verse 21 says, But now the righteousness of God apart from the law is revealed, being witnessed by the law and the prophets. Even the righteousness of God through faith in Yeshua the Messiah to all and on all who believe, for there is no difference. The word believe is a participle, a present participle. That means it's happening and continuing to happen. So it says, the righteousness of God through faith on all and to all who are believing, for there is no difference. So, how, so as we keep reading, I want you to think about the connotation of that. On those who are believing. What does that mean that you have to do? You have to keep continuing believing. 
Verse 23 says, For all have sinned and fall short of the glory of God. So what does that mean? Everybody is a what? Everybody is a sinner. We read it in the Old Testament last night. It says there is no man who doesn't sin. It says, verse 24, being justified freely by his gift through the redemption that is in Messiah Yeshua. Being justified is also a participle. So it says that we're being justified, continuing. This is a continuous action, a present participle. So which two phrases do you think are, or two words do you think are connected here? Believe in verse 22 and justified in 24. So as long as we continue believing, what happens? We're being what? justified. Now what happens if we stop believing? We're going to see in the scriptures what happens if you just decide, hey, I'm, I'm done. I renounce my faith. So as long as you're believing, what does the scripture say in verse 24? You're being what? You're being justified. There are several scriptures we're going to see throughout this teaching that kind of make you see a little different view of what salvation is in the eyes of God. Is salvation a one-time event or is it the goal? Is that what we're looking to? And that's what we're going to be looking at throughout this teaching. <clears throat> Verse 25, so we're being justified freely by his grace through the redemption that is in Messiah Yeshua. The word grace there is charis. It says, whom God set forth as a propitiation, an atoning sacrifice by his blood through faith. There again, how? Through faith to demonstrate his righteousness because in his forbearance, God had passed over the sins that were previously committed. To demonstrate at the present time his righteousness that he might be just and the justifier of the one who has faith in Messiah or in Yeshua. And that word and that phrase where it says the justifier of the one who has faith, that's also a participle. That he might be just and justifying the one who has faith. So notice, believing, justifying, go hand in hand. If we stop believing, it's kind of like wheels in a machine. I have a note here, and I want to make sure that I... Oh, yeah. Romans 11.22 goes right along with what we just read here. So turn over to a Romans 11.22. <clears throat> Talking about being grafted in. Talking about being grafted in. And this again, this is part of the graciousness of God. 
So how many trees are there? How many roots? There's one tree. Verse 22 says, Therefore consider the goodness and severity of God on those who fail severity, but toward you goodness. What's the very next word? If. If you continue in His goodness, otherwise you also will be what? Cut off. That phrase, if you continue in His goodness. I want to read this little part of a commentary by a commentator named Murray. It says, the continual clause in this verse, if you continue in His goodness, is a reminder that there is no security in the bond of the gospel apart from perseverance. There is no such thing as continuance in the favor of God in spite of apostasy. God's saving embrace and endurance are correlative. correlative. So what if you decide to stop? So let me read this part again. It says, there's no security in the bond of the gospel apart from perseverance. Why does Paul spend so much time saying you've got to finish the race? You have to finish the race. Don't give up. Keep going. Because what happens if you stop the race? Do you win the race? You don't. How many of you have seen somebody stop a race midway and still win? Didn't happen for the hare, the hare did it. The tortoise won the race. So God's saving embrace and endurance are correlative. They go hand in hand. Romans chapter 5. We'll spend some time in Romans. Still looking at how salvation is by faith through the grace of God. God, through His grace, made a way. Romans 5.1, it says, Therefore, having been justified by faith, or you could translate it, being justified by faith, we have peace with God through our Lord Yeshua the Messiah, through whom also we have access by faith into this grace in which we stand and, joy, and rejoice in hope of the glory of God. So how do we have access to this faith by grace? By the grace of God. God through His grace provided a way of salvation through the Lord, Yeshua the Messiah. Galatians chapter 2. Yes, Galatians 2. Galatians 2.16. It says, Knowing that a man is not justified by the works of the law, but by faith in Yeshua the Messiah. 
Even we have believed in Messiah Yeshua that we might be justified by faith in Messiah and not by the works of the law. For by the works of the law, how, many, how much flesh shall be justified? No flesh shall be justified. None. Verse 21. It says, I do not set aside the grace of God. There's the word charis. The grace of God. For if righteousness came through the law, then Messiah died in vain. So in other words, if we could be saved through our own works, through our own fleshly merit, then this right here says, then Messiah died for no reason. But why did he die? We just read in Romans, he died through the grace of God that we might receive salvation by faith, that we might be reconciled to God. Ephesians chapter 2. Ephesians 2. Starting in verse 4. We'll read verses 4 through 9. It says, But God, who is rich in mercy... Because of his great love with which he loved us, even when we were dead in trespasses, made us alive together in Messiah. By grace you have been saved. And raised us up together and made us sit together in heavenly places in Messiah Yeshua. That in the ages to come he might show the exceeding riches of his grace in his kindness toward us in Messiah Yeshua. For by grace you have been saved through faith. And that not of yourselves, it is a gift of God. Not of works, lest anyone should boast. For we are his workmanship, created in my Messiah Yeshua for good works, which God prepared beforehand that we should walk in them. So if, we, if salvation was by works, then what would that cause us to do? If we earned our salvation through the, the works of our own hands, then what would that cause us to do? To boast, to gloat. Look what I did. Look what I did. But it says, lest anyone should boast. So it's by grace you've been saved. It is a gift of God. So that gift of God. Do you remember how we talked about how the word charis, this is not the word charis, it's, but it also can be translated as gift. So you see how the grace of God gave us this gift of salvation by faith. Go to Romans chapter 15. The word mercy is in here. 
still talking about salvation. Starting in verse 7. It says, Therefore receive one another, just as Messiah also received us to the glory of God. Now I say that, say that Messiah Yeshua has become a servant to the circumcision for the truth of God to confirm the promises made to the Father. And that the Gentiles might glorify God for His mercy as it is written. For this reason I will confess to you among the Gentiles and sing to your name. And again he says, Rejoice, O Gentiles, with His people. Not separate from, but with His people. So we see that salvation is available to everyone through the mercy and grace of God. In verse 9, the word mercy is Greek word, um, the Greek word elios, E-L-E-O-S, elios, and it's Greek word 1656. So I'll let you know when the word is grace or mercy or let you know the Greek word that's being used. But you notice when salvation is mentioned, you always notice there's that element of grace, that element of mercy. 2 Corinthians. 2 Corinthians. <clears throat> Second Corinthians. Oh, first Corinthians. Second Corinthians. Second Corinthians chapter one. I'm sorry. Second Corinthians chapter six, verse one. Are you confused yet? All right. There we go. Second Corinthians six, verse one. It says, We then, as workers together with him, also plead with you not to receive the grace of God in vain. For he says, In an acceptable time I have heard you, and in the day of salvation I have helped you. Behold, now is the accepted time. Behold, now is the day of salvation. So notice in verse 1 it says not to receive the grace of God in vain. The word grace there is charis. But what does that mean? Don't receive it in vain. When sh if salvation is offered to you, when should you accept it? Now. Right. It says, behold, now is the accepted time. Behold, now is the day of salvation. What happens if you put it off? Are you promised another day? That is the grace of God. He's giving you opportunity to repent. It all goes back to the long-suffering. God is long-suffering. But what happens if you wait to your deathbed? How many of you might not have that opportunity? So that's why Paul is saying, don't receive the grace of God in vain. Now is the day of salvation. Now is the accepted time. Galatians 5. Galatians 5. We'll get to this eventually in Galatians, but... Sneak peek. Galatians 5, verse 
Galatians 5, read verses 1 through 6. Verse 1 says, Stand fast, therefore, in the liberty by which Messiah has made us free, and do not be again entangled again with a yoke of bondage. What is this yoke of bondage speaking of? Well, if we keep reading it, we'll, you'll find out what it is. So I don't want to tell you what it is. Let's let the scripture tell you what it is. It says, Indeed, I, Paul, say to you that if you become circumcised, Messiah will profit you nothing. And I testify again to every man who becomes circumcised that he is a debtor to keep the whole law. So does that mean just you can't be circumcised? Or what is this having to do with? It's circumcision in order to be saved. Because listen to verse 4. It says, you have become estranged from Messiah. What's that mean to be estranged? Separated. You who attempt to be justified by law, you have fallen from grace. So what is the grace of God? Salvation is by what? It's by faith. It's a free gift of God. What happens if you say, nah, 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 I'm going to be circumcised and try to keep the whole law in order to be saved? then you have become separated from Messiah. You're no longer a partaker of that grace. You're no longer a partaker of that free gift. You who attempt to be justified by law, you have fallen from grace. When Messiah said in John 14, 6, I am a way, a truth, and a life, he said, I am the way, the truth and the life and no one comes to the Father but by me. So how many ways of salvation are there? There's one way of salvation. One way. Daniel? Yes? It always seems to me really weird. We use this expression about this person or that person. They've fallen from grace. Right. Uh, they've got into some sort of moral thing. You, you know what I mean? Right, and yeah. it's so weird because what it really means is you come back under law rather than trusting him through faith. Right. I, I really get frustrated by that use of that phrase in that context. Right. I have heard... So what Edmund said was people tend to use... And I'm just going to paraphrase what he said. People tend to use the phrase fallen from grace to mean kind of like they've had kind of like a lapse in judgment, kind of like they've just... They don't use it in the same connotation of what it's really talking about. When it's talking about falling from grace, you're trying to use another means, trying to find another means of salvation is what it's saying. But so many times that word fallen from grace means in the eyes of some people it carries a different connotation. So, yeah, thank you, Edmund, for that. Because I've heard that phrase my whole life. They've, they've fallen from grace. Um, see, I'm trying to think how I've heard it used. Falling out of favor with God, yeah. Um, oh, I've heard it used this way. Falling from grace means that um, you believe that you can lose your salvation. Falling from grace means that you're trying to earn your salvation a different way. You're trying, so like, 
If somebody tries to tell you falling from grace means anything other than what the scripture says, just show them falling from grace means that you're trying to be justified or saved some other way. It has nothing to do with falling from grace doesn't mean you've lost your salvation. It just means you're trying to earn your salvation a different way. Does that make sense? Thank you, Edmund, for that. Verse 5, Galatians 5 says, For we through the Spirit eagerly wait for the hope of righteousness by faith. For in Messiah Yeshua, neither circumcision nor uncircumcision avails anything but faith working through love. So you see how that phrase, grace, faith, all just work interchangeably together. So, I made a note that says it wouldn't be grace if we had to earn salvation by our own merit. And so, when we think about like the kind of works that God requires of us to do, the works that are mentioned here, so circumcision, trying to earn salvation by your own works, are those the kind of works that God requires? Trying to earn your salvation. Are those the works that God requires? Absolutely not. So there are two different kinds of works that were mentioned here or that, that are mentioned throughout Scripture. One is works to try to earn salvation and then one is works to prove that your salvation is real. So look at James chapter 2. James chapter 2. James 2.17. Actually, let's just start at verse 14. The key verse I want us to look at is 18. It says, But what does it profit, my brethren, if someone says he has faith, but does not have works? Can, mere, can faith save him? So what, what would you say to that? If somebody says they have faith, but no works... Can their faith, can their mere word, can their mere profession of faith save them? Verse 15 says, If a brother or sister is naked and destitute of daily food, and one of you says, Depart in peace, be warmed and filled, but you do not give them the things which are needed for the body, what does it profit? So if you see somebody, if, if you see a, a brother who is destitute of daily food, and you say to them, All right, go find you a warm place, be warm, be filled, and then you just walk on. What good did that do them? None. It didn't do them any good. So verse 17 says, Thus also faith by itself, if it does not have works, is what? Is dead. So here we've been learning that salvation is by faith. But how do you prove that your faith is real? through your works, through your actions. Salvation is, is 
faith that you have been changed. You've been so if you're changed, you can't be the same. Right, exactly. So salvation produces, you know, your faith should produce in you a, a desire to want to do those good works. Verse 18 says, but someone will say, you have faith and I have works. Show me your faith without your works and I'll show you my faith by my works. So James is saying, Okay, go ahead. Show me your faith without your works and I'll show you my faith by my works. So who do you think is going to be able to show their faith? The one that is showing the works or the one that just says, ah, I have faith. So you see when the scripture talks about works, there's works that people try to do to earn salvation and then there are works that you do to prove that your salvation is real. Do you see how it kind of is almost like a tightrope? Because you have to make sure, you have to balance it. Because works don't save you, but works do what? Demonstrate. Demonstrate your faith is real. Absolutely. Absolutely. All right. Yeah. Go ahead. Oh, I was just going to say, and here he's calling them foolish, and the foolish man says in his heart. Right. There is no God. Yeah. So he's calling them foolish. They're in verse 20. Absolutely. And a fool says in his heart, there is no God. Absolutely right. All right, Titus chapter 2. Titus chapter 2. Titus 2, verse 11 through 14. Verse 11 says, For the grace of God that brings salvation has appeared to how many men? All men. Do you see that big long phrase, the grace of God that brings salvation? Literally it says, the saving grace of God. For the saving grace of God has appeared to all men. So who has the opportunity to be saved? All men. Everybody. That's God's grace. He's giving us that opportunity, everybody, to be saved. Teaching us that denying ungodliness and worldly lust. What? You mean we can't live like the world? Teaching us that denying ungodliness... And worldly lust, we should live soberly. Soberly means in our right mind. Righteously and godly in the present age, looking for the blessed hope and glorious appearing of our great God and Savior, Yeshua the Messiah. Who did Paul just call God? Yeshua. Who gave himself for us that he might redeem us from every what? lawless deed and purify for himself his own people zealous for what? Good works. Do you think those are the works that people try to do to save themselves? Or are those the works that people do to prove that their salvation is real? 
salvation is real, you want to do good works. Yeah, if your salvation is real, you want to do good works. Do you think that's part of the perseverance? Mm -hmm. That continual doing? So if you're continually doing something, that means that you are continually doing good works. That means you're going to be zealous for good works. Because what happens if the good works stop? Eventually you start to get what? Cold. You start to get lukewarm. And what happens in the book of Revelation to the, book of, or to the church of Laodicea? What did the Lord say to them? I wish you were either hot or cold because you're lukewarm. I'm going to what? I'm going to spit you out of my mouth. I'm going to vomit you out. Stay in the book of Titus. Go to chapter 3. We're going to read verses 5 through 8. We'll just start at verse 4. <clears throat> but when the kindness and the love of God our Savior toward man appeared, not by works of righteousness which we have done, but according to His mercy, He saved us. Through the washing of regeneration and renewing of the Holy Spirit, whom He poured out on us abundantly through Yeshua the Messiah, our Savior, that having been justified by His grace, we should become heirs according to the hope of eternal life. So is it anything that we did? No. And that's what Paul is saying. It's not anything that we did, but God's mercy that gave us that hope of eternal life. And then look at verse 8. It says, this is a faithful saying, and these things I want to affirm constantly, that those who have believed in God should be careful to what? Maintain good works. In other words, continual action. Keep doing. These things are good and profitable to men. Do you think Paul, again, do you think Paul is talking about the works mentioned in the book of Galatians where people are saying you have to do this to be saved? Are those the kind of works that he's talking about? Absolutely not. Hebrews chapter 4. Hebrews chapter 4. The key verse is 16, which is where we see the phrase, we see both mercy and grace. But I want to start in verse 1. Verse 1 says, Therefore, since a promise remains of entering his rest. Now that's interesting because it started with therefore. Go back to chapter 3, verse 19, the last, the, just the previous verse of the last chapter. It says, so we see that they could not enter in because of what? Unbelief. A lack of faith. 
So these people that wandered in the wilderness could not enter into the rest of God because of what? Because of a lack of faith. What did that lack of faith produce in them? Do you think it produced good works? No. What did they want to do? When they, when they saw, heard about the giants and the, all the people in the land, they were ready to go back to Egypt. And when Joshua and Caleb said, no, we can take that land. We can do it. Come on, let's go. What did the people want to do to Joshua and Caleb? Wanted to stone them. Are those good works? Or what do those works demonstrate? A lack of faith. So you see that they could not enter in because of unbelief. Verse 1 of chapter 4. Therefore, since a promise remains of entering his rest, let us fear lest any of you seem to have come short of it. Does that sound like a, a threat? It says, let us fear, lest any of you seem to have come short of it. All right. Do you see the phrase, to have come short of it? The last part of, of verse 1. To have come short of it. Underline that phrase. That phrase is the Greek word, hysterio. Kind of sounds like hysteria, doesn't it? Hysterio. H Y. S-T-E-R-I-O. Hustereo. And that's Greek word 5302. I want you to listen to this definition from the Thayer's Greek lexicon. It says, Hustereo means to be left behind in a race and so fail to reach the goal. Or to fall short of the end. Does that sound like, come on in, my good and faithful servant? You, fa you failed to finish the race, but I'm going to let you come in anyway. Let me read that again. It says, to be left behind in the race and so fail to reach the goal. Or to fall short of the end. And if we look at end as the goal, that means they didn't what? They didn't finish. They didn't make it. So this is Paul saying... Learn from them. It says, they didn't enter in because of unbelief. It says, therefore, since a promise of that rest, that sabbatismos, that Sabbath rest, remains, let us fear lest any of you seem to have come short of it. Verse 9, speaking of that Sabbath rest, it says, therefore, there remains, therefore, a rest for the people of God. That's the rest that's mentioned in verse 1, the sabbatismos. And sabbatismos means a what? A Sabbath rest. That's the picture of the millennial kingdom. So if you want to enter into that kingdom, do you stop the race? Do you finish? Or do you just say, I'm done? If you say, I'm done... Look what happened to the people in the, in the wilderness. It says they did not enter in because of what? Unbelief. If you, how many of you believe that there is a Sabbath rest for God's people? Then are you going to stop? 
are you going to stop believing? Are you, or are you going to continue on because you know that's the goal? If you know that's the goal, then that means I have faith and I believe in the promises of God and I'm going to attain to that goal. If you say, well, there might be a millennial kingdom, I don't know. Then what kind of faith is that going to produce in you? It's not going to produce that much faith. But since you know there is a coming kingdom, there's a coming rest, what should that produce in you? A continual drive to keep going. That's faith. Verse 11. It says, there, let us therefore be what to enter that rest? What's the word? Diligent. Diligent. Let us be diligent to enter that rest, lest anyone fall according to the same example of disobedience. What two words are synonymous here? Disobedience and unbelief. And unbelief is a lack of faith. Because what did their unbelief produce in them? Disobedience. Verse 14, it says, Seeing then that we have a great high priest who has passed through the heavens, Yeshua the Son of God, let us hold fast our confession. Why should we hold fast that confession? Messiah died for us that we might be forgiven of our sins, that we would have access to that kingdom by faith. For we do not have a high priest who cannot sympathize with our weaknesses, but was in all points tempted as we are, yet without sin. Let us therefore come boldly to the throne of grace. That means with confidence. Confidence in what? Confidence in knowing that we're going to attain that. Are, we gonna, are you going to continue in a race that you know has no finishing point? I, I'm, I'm here, I'm running. I don't know why, but I'm running. What is our goal? Our goal is the kingdom. It's that Sabbath rest. So if we keep the goal in mind, then we know why we're running. You know, Paul talks about in the book of Corinthians, he says, we fight, but not as one who beats the air. We, have, we know why. We know why we're continuing doing what we're doing. And verse 16 says, Let us therefore come boldly to the throne of grace that we might obtain mercy and find grace in help to help in the time of need. How many of you need a little grace and mercy from God? We all do. We all do. How do we obtain it? By faith. And what does that faith produce in us? It produces the works that help us to continue the race. So we can confidently know that our sins can be forgiven if we come to Him in repentance. How many of you pray a prayer of repentance and say, well, God ain't going to forgive me anyway, but I'm just going to pray the prayer. You don't even waste your breath. Don't even waste your breath. But how many of you pray a prayer and say, Lord, I know that you're going to forgive me of this. I know that you're going to do this. That's why you pray. You pray in faith. 
You pray in faith, believing. And when, if you commit a sin, does God say, eh, I might forgive you? Maybe. If you grovel enough. Is that, how, is that the mentality of God? No, we've read it from, from Genesis all the way to Revelation. The character of God. When we pray and ask for forgiveness, what, what is He gracious to do? To forgive us. That's the character of God. That's grace. Alright, 1 Peter chapter 1. We have three minutes. I won't finish today. I'll finish the next time. But I do want to leave you with something to, to chew on for the next week. 1 Peter. I want to start at verse 8. I'm going to read verses 3 through 13, not this week, but I want to read you something to let you mull over for the next time. Let's look at verses 8 and 9. This is 1 Peter chapter 1, verses 8 and 9. I want to start at the word though. So it's the, so whom having not seen you love, Though now you do not see him, yet believing, you rejoice with joy inexpressible and full of glory, receiving the end of your faith, the salvation of your souls. What do you think that word end means? Does that mean that once you make a profession of faith, um, your faith is ended. The end of your here's the end of your faith. The termination. No, it's the goal. So if we take out the word end and put in the word goal, it says receiving the goal of your faith, the salvation of your souls. So what? What's that? Is that tell us? Uh, yes, it's tell us. Yeah. So what does that sound like? Does it sound like salvation is the beginning or is it the goal? That's, what's, that's what it says here. We're going to read starting in, in verse 3 and we're going to read on down and we're going to see that there, this is a very power-packed section of Scripture about faith, how grace and mercy all tie together, and how the goal of our faith is salvation. So just mull over that for the next week and we'll talk about it next week, Lord willing.